Hello and welcome to Leviathan News. Today is Friday, July 28th, and we're going to talk a lot about stablecoins today because we like the stablecoins. Um, yeah. We'll start with the big one, which is that MakerDAO has approved a proposal to uh, increase the DSR uh, yield up to 8% to spur growth for their uh, decentralized stable coins. So they've seen a large downturn in supply, just like everybody else in the stable coin industry over the last several months, stemming from last year after the Luna collapse. And so they have a new proposal that would introduce something called the enhanced die savings rate, which temporarily increases the interest rate die holders can earn up to 8%. And uh, it's it's like a tiered process. So essentially, the first money that comes in uh, gets paid 8%. And then as more money comes in, uh, then they get paid lower and lower and lower. So uh, Rune said that it, we have not managed to generate sustainable growth in new demand for in capital inflows yet. The EDSR helps fix this by ensuring that die holders that are pioneering the adoption of the DSR get a more fair amount of value from the increased returns generated by the protocol. And this is in line with the fact that 54% of all die revenue now comes from treasuries, which are being managed off-chain uh, and earning quite a bit of interest. Quite a bit, but under the uh, under the eight percent mark. So I'm guessing their treasury <laughs> is just funding the surplus. Probably, uh, probably. So they are earning quite a bit on the, uh, the the treasury income. That's that's become one of the their largest source for income uh, over the past year, and uh, now they're trying to uh, increase that over time. It. I saw some interesting comments actually uh, that. Here is Jay Powell yesterday who raised rates, which I think he said could be for the last time. Uh, we've hit this like terminal rate of five and a half percent. And uh, MakerDAO's business model is, is purely predicated on treasuries rising up. And for everything that, I know they're like a small drop in the pond, they're only like $4.6 billion, but the stablecoin industry writ large is, uh, like, like sapping off the the benefits of these interest rate increases. So when they sit at five and a half percent, that's a huge amount of money that's being passed back to these stablecoin issuers in the form of interest income, and uh, yeah, that may or may not be passed back to the users, like in the case of like Tether or USDC. Um, MakerDAO does obviously. But uh, this is really like a boon for the stablecoin industry. And I wonder if the Fed and Congress takes a look at this and tries to stamp it down a little bit in the future. Yeah, it's a good point. I can't really comment on what the Fed would do, but I do think that for like DeFi more broadly, like we've been needing this. We've been needing all these kind of like off-chain yields to make their way on-chain mm -hmm. because at the moment there's literally no reason for people to be putting mother money on chain when you can like keep your money in a bank and unless you're like helping Lazarus group you're probably going to be pretty safe there not even a bank i mean you can you can just go buy like 30 day treasuries and earn 5.5% yeah exactly like there's no appeal for defi where you can get hacked rugged attacked whatever mhm mm exactly 8%? so 8% you know 8% talks yeah and so it's a it's a tiered it's a tiered process where uh as the as more and more TVL comes in, it'll 
go lower and lower and lower. But the first funds that come in will will get that eight percent, which is a very nice offering. Yeah, and they I feel like get this, I'm sorry, please. they will get this eight percent even uh, after uh, other other people come and uh, like dilute them. After they what? Like you said that uh, like once uh, more and more people uh, come, this uh, yield will. Oh yeah, so like it just it 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 cut like as the money comes in, then uh, after a certain point, it goes down to the three point three percent again. So it's really incentive to uh, get funds to come and sit in the DSR and increase their TVL. Uh, and this will really only be temporary. It's more of like a, uh, a a marketing ploy to to spur money to come back in, and they're hoping to add another billion or two to TVL using this process. All right. I'm just going to say, let's imagine a bunch of uh, LSTs get built off of this. And instead of uh, LSDFi, we see DiFi. DiFi. <laughs> well, well we... sounds like some kind of a summer, uh, like a special uh, offer for the summer. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would love to see uh, interest rates come back up in the crypto lending markets up from the gutter where they were for years and years. I want to go back to 2020 when they were like at 15% for 15 to 20% for like almost a year. Come After on, this, engineers. This few years, I'm not so sure it's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, like high interest on uh, crypto lending markets just means that there's high demand for stable coins and people are probably using that for leverage or farming or something. And uh, so that's the kind of environment we want to get back to. Because right now it's tepid. The stablecoin market cap keeps going down and down and down. And uh, as more like money gets sucked out of the system and into these interest rate uh, opportunities. Uh, let's see. Let's uh, definitely think that uh, all kinds of stuff can uh, spare uh, like uh, a, a new like uh, stablecoin uh, spring in a way. Like for me, it's mostly use cases, by the way. Like I want options, like I want possibilities on how to actually use stable coins. I think that's the key. Yeah. So we had some other stable coin news that was quietly announced on this week. Uh, in the Frax Shack, this is something I, that I reported on on Flywheel, <laughs> is that uh, Sam Kazemian, Frax founder, started to leak details about the upcoming Frax V3 launch. Uh, notably, uh, before we get into the details, he said that this is going to be out within 30 days, <laughs> which I thought was interesting. Um, so, in, yeah. So in my in my story, which I covered, uh, just some you know random anon in chat was like, "Hey, uh, asking about like the CRV USD uh, situation and about how like that's set up and about how it's unique." And Sam comes back and says that like we're going to unveil Frax V3 soon. And he thinks that Frax V3 and Curve USD will be the main show in town after that. Um, there's not a lot of details in there. A lot of this is going to be kind of cryptic because uh, Sam is kind of like not saying things, but but not clearly saying things. So, uh, yeah. so Frax V3 had been a part of the roadmap of Frax since since March. Uh, the first comment that I could see Sam making about this was back then. This was after the Silicon Valley Bank crisis. Uh, and after the USDC DPEG, which had caused both uh, USDC and Frax and Dai to trade down to like 92 or 93 cents during the crisis. Uh, and I think that was a wake-up call for the team that uh, diversification of assets is needed and more so a uh, diversification away from so-called fiat coins 
into other sources. So obviously we're in like speculative territory when we're talking about this, but is the, your, your impression that the thought is to kind of phase out Frax current stablecoin and start migrating liquidity towards this like new stablecoin? Honestly, I have no idea. <laughs> can, we can go through that, right? So like uh, another Anon LZ asked Sam, like, how can it not rely on fiat coins? And Sam says, like, does CRV USD rely on fiat coins? And I mean, it, it partially does, right? They have the peg keepers who are, who are maintaining the peg. Um, but uh, he goes on to say that like Frax V3 is going to allow the peg to be kept without having to rebalance the curve pools or sell collateral. So it's a new mechanism that doesn't exist in DeFi. So he, he goes on to say that it's, it's, a brand new, it's a brand new mechanism. They had to code it from scratch. Uh, nobody else is, is using this so far. And, uh, but then there's like, you would think that, okay, they're, they're going to use some sort of crypto collateral. Uh, but then later, another Anon ACT asks Sam, like, is T-bill yield going to flow into VFX uh, and VLCVX holders? And Sam said essentially yes, which is like extremely cryptic, right? Because to get T-bill yield, you need to have uh, like agreements set up with whomever's providing your like base stable coins, right? Like in Frax's case, it's like either Paxos or Circle or whomever's, whomever's backing, right? Like, th like they would have to come to a, a partnership agreement that say like Circle has where uh, part of that interest income is being passed back. You know, somewhere between like one and three percent, I would guess, at these rates. Uh, but that would add a ton of extra uh, yield to the protocol. You know, I think there's around six to seven hundred million dollars worth of collateral in Fracture at the moment, and so that would that would bring in you know several extra million dollars, uh, even tens of millions of dollars extra as as interest income that would go straight to the VFX uh, lockers. Um, but additionally, he says that there's going to be some bribing mechanisms with Frax V3, where part of the yield is used to auto incentivize deep liquidity. Uh, and yeah, so it, it's all very cryptic, you know, like a lot of like high level stuff, which with, without knowing the, the core details is going to be a little bit diff difficult to understand, but based on what Sam says about the timeline, uh, this should all be out within 30 days. So we should know within by the end of August, hopefully. I feel like it's one of those things that you kind of have to test and prod before people gain an appreciation or understanding of what's going on here. So it's uh, exciting that we'll get the tail end of DeFi summer. Frax summer. Yeah, I don't think it's... I, the, the thing is, is like, I don't think it's a... I, I, think it's, I think it's a collateral change and a mechanism design change. So I don't think it's just a pure, like, oh, hey, we're putting out a new contract sort of thing. Uh, I also think there's some stuff on the back end where they're like trying to uh, diversify the collateral away from USDC so that like if there is another like shock, right, that, that you would have um, like some backups, right, in case anything happened. Is all this collateral uh, still going to be on chain or do we don't know that? Uh, yeah, no, everything's going to be fully on chain. Yeah, I mean, that's something that Frax is committed to is that all of their uh like every single piece every single dollar or token should be visible at all times i thought i saw something about uh frax usd which was uh representing off-chain um like money held in like uh, a fed master be, account uh, or t-bills or something i mean it could be that honestly i don't i don't know about the fed master account because it's like a long-term thing but um 
the Frax USD as a swap for USDC as like the collateral backing might even work. Yeah. Got it. Well, we're on the subject. Can we uh, get back into debate cast? And um, sure. uh, I saw that the Llama Risk team released a report on Frax and uh, it was mostly favorable um, with uh, this regarding SFRAX ETH and it kind of piggybacked off a Prisma Finance report. Uh, but it did like knock off some points for like centralization risk, counterparty risks, and Oracle risks. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, did you read actually, through that? What's your response to that? Well, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the tweet now, and they actually like retweeted the Prisma Risk uh, report. And so, you know, we talked about the the Prisma Prisma Risk report last week when it came out. Uh, I think it's a very I think it's probably the most in depth and fair assessment of stake for uh, that we've seen so far. Uh, because they not only take a look at the um, like the backing, they're also looking at security. They're looking at the legal aspects. Uh, it's 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 extremely in depth and worth the read. Um, and the, you know the Llama Risk team pretty much comes to the same uh, conclusions as the Prisma Risk team that the liquidity is unmatched based on how Fraxith was designed. The volatility is better than, than any other the LSD out there. And, uh, you know, the, the contracts themselves are good, but it has several critical dependencies. Um, namely, the, the core team runs all the validators at the moment uh, using a multi-sig, and uh, there's no Fraxith Oracle yet for, uh, for Chainlink. So those two things are, like, critical issues that they raise. And it's also the same issues that Prisma Risk raise, raises at the end. Uh, but there should be, there's two solutions that are coming for that in this quarter. Uh, FraxGov will be launched, uh, which will completely sever uh, any control by the, by the multi-sig uh, to have unilateral control. And then additionally, the launch of Fraxy 3 uh, will completely change how the uh, staking dynamics works. It essentially moves away from a staking system to a uh, isolated lending market, much like Aave. Yeah. So if I want to play devil's advocate, I'd say, well, why are you launching Frax V3 when you have these other kind of crucial centralization uh, Frax Gov projects in the pipeline? Why not get those out, get it decentralized, and then move to V3? What's the, why does V3 take precedence here? Uh, so I think the, like V3 deals with the stablecoin, right? Like the you're talking about like a different part of the vertical, which is on the uh, stake D side. Uh, I believe that the Frax V3 has been something that's been worked on in the background uh, since, since what was it, March, when the Silicon Valley Bank issue happened. Uh, and, you know, like the, the team is very capable. Like there's eight guys that work there and they're extremely talented. So, uh, you know, they all have their different projects that they're working on. I also saw something uh, mentioning an Oracle-less design, right, sir? For, for which part? For Fox. I, yeah, I don't know about that, but uh, yeah, at the moment, those are the core things that are coming. I, I would say that like, the FraxGov is the most important thing because it'll, it'll essentially like, remove the ability of the multi-six to act unilaterally. It puts in like, time lock controls and allows the, uh, the token holders to essentially like, veto anything that the multi-sig uh, wants to do on a daily basis. So, by the way, are they also do, do you have any idea if they're gonna like maintain some kind of ability, uh, like something like an emergency DAO? For example, what we saw back in the day with uh, Curve when uh, the whole Mochi uh, stuff uh, happened. 
Yeah, so I've got a really good article that I wrote on Flywheel about this uh, that goes into the uh, the different like how FraxGov is essentially being set up and uh, like they're dividing it into uh, two parts. Let me just pull this up. Um, they are taking the multi-sig. Right, let me get rid of this and pull. Okay, so they're getting rid of the multi-sig and they're adding in two contracts. The first is the Frax Governor Alpha and then the second is uh, Frax Governor Omega. And so Frax Governor Alpha is a uh, high quorum contract. So this is like anything that is that is critical to the functioning of the protocol as a whole uh, has to go through Alpha. And so that has like a more than 50% uh, uh, quorum that's that's needed. Uh, it has like high controls. It, it has to be voted on only by the, the VEFXS holders. Uh, and, and this can make any changes to the protocol. Like any parameter change to the protocol can be done through Alpha. But it has a super high quorum. It's got a long wait time. Um, but it does have an emergency like switch. Like if you get if you get a fifty one percent quorum, the the transaction can be executed. So if there is some emergency that needs to take place, um, then uh, then that can be done through the alpha. The day to day stuff about like adjusting the AMOs or uh, moving liquidity around, uh, doing rebalances, would happen through Frax uh, Governor Omega. And so that's a a limited contract which has low quorum. Uh, I believe it's only like five percent or four percent. Uh, and anybody can call this, uh, but it also has like a veto principle as well too. So anybody, like anybody can, uh, if they get enough quorum, like more than, uh, I'd have to go check, but like it has a low threshold for, for getting vetoed. So if there is any sort of transaction, which is, uh, deemed to be like malicious or something through the Omega contract, uh, then anybody can propose to, to veto it and it immediately gets aborted. Uh, and then all this is connected to a Gnosis save where everything is operated out of. Uh, essentially, it's a uh, uh, it has like a, a three of five threshold, and uh, the, either the omega or the alpha always has to be a part of those votes. So, um, yeah, it's a really interesting system. I think it's they've done a really good job of of setting this up. I think uh, what we should set up is an interview with the Frax uh, guys. Uh, like AC. Yeah, I think we can have Drake on who uh, was instrumental in, in designing this. Yeah, it can be great. Uh, yeah, but that's enough Frax stuff. If you want to hear more, uh, come over to Flywheel. We, we like talk about this like every single day, right? So <laughs> uh, we also had a policy paper that uh, we talked to, we reported yesterday, but uh, it was put out by Paradigm and it talks about like the future of stablecoin payments. And uh, Paradigm says that uh, dollar stable coins are like less risky than other forms of money. And it also fosters uh, growth and competitiveness. And they want to encourage stable coin invasion, or innovation. And so uh, it's an interesting paper because they're, they're talking about how like stable coins are not money market funds and they're less risky. I, I mean, all this is, is debate. I mean, this is where the political aspect of stable coins comes in. Um, but uh, it's a good read. I think it's 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 very pro industry. Yeah, it's really interesting timing because, of course, there's been a bunch of drama within Washington D.C. the past few days as multiple stablecoin bills tried to advance mm -hmm. out of committee, and uh, it seems as if it became a major flashpoint uh, for some partisan bickering there. 
but one has to assume that this is just bolstering the case of that people who are you know trying to get stablecoin legislation through can point to this paper. Yeah, didn't there actually didn't the the bill make it out of committee yesterday? I think it did, but I think it got shut down because um, uh, I believe it was like a few um, of the kind of older wing of the Democratic Party were complaining that it was too favorable to the crypto industry, and they really wanted to ensure um, that oh, this is, this is thing was. I saw this this morning, right? So the 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 U.S. House Financial Services Committee passes the stablecoin le legislation after what they call some fireworks. So there was a big like. I have to share the thread, which had all the drama, but I'm just pulling this up. So this was actually this morning, right? So uh, Patrick McHenry passed the Clarity for Payment Stablecoins Act with bipartisan support. Uh, and he said that the committee members, unlike the White House, understood the urgency and importance of providing clarity for payment stablecoins. And uh, so it, it's passed. So, I mean, it's essentially out of committee now. Out of committee, um, but then mm -hmm. obviously has to hit the main floor and Senate, I believe, just took a big recess for the past month, uh, for the next upcoming month. So I don't think there's going to be a lot happening on this front, but it's still nice to see that like there's some semblance of progress. Yeah, it wouldn't have a vote. It wouldn't have like a an actual vote until September when there's uh, larger bills that it can be kind of pushed in with, wrapped up with. Um uh, we also had the uh, launch of Worldcoin this week. We talked about Worldcoin, I believe, on Tuesday when, or sorry, Monday when it was launched on Binance. But uh, Worldcoin has generated quite a lot of feedback. So I know, like immediately after the launch, the UK uh, privacy regulator said that they were going to look into Worldcoin. Uh, the French privacy watchdog also said they're looking into Worldcoin based on the legality of them collecting biometric data, which they seem questionable. Uh, but on chain, it's been a little bit different story. So optimism has surpassed Arbitrum in terms of daily transactions, uh, fully fu fueled by the Worldcoin hype. Uh, ah, yeah, it's fueled by the Worldcoin hype? Yeah. Oh, so, that's why. I didn't know. I didn't get how it happens. I mean, I didn't understand how it happened. Okay, this makes yeah, so sense. So this is the first time that optimism transactions, like the number of daily transactions on optimism, has has surpassed Arbitrum. Yeah, uh, I saw that graph online, and I was surprised. But now, when you say it's connected to the Worldcoin, uh, like rush, mm -hmm. okay, it makes a bit more sense to me because uh, honestly, I didn't understand how uh, this can. Like, not not now. Like may, maybe one day. I'm not saying that I know, but it was weird uh, to me. But uh, to be honest, I'm more arbitrum oriented uh, anyway. But uh, now that you say that uh, it's uh, it's related to the world coin rush, then I, I'm not sure how organic it really is. Yeah. So we can see in uh, this chart down here. Let me see if I can make this bigger. Here we go. So the number of transactions surpassed and this is the first time since january that transactions and optimum optimism have passed arbitrum uh, yeah it's interesting and uh you can't really see it quite in the graph the way this is uh for those of you watching oops. it let me push it up here there, there we go, go. So to me, like like the optimism thing and the world coin, whatever, like it might just be like a flash in the pan. But if you notice like the Arbitrum transactions, that has been a smooth trend line down. So even if the world coin thing hadn't come along within a few months, we might have seen this flipping anyway. 
אההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההה
you know, parties protecting their own. Like that's premature. Yeah, very premature. <laughs> let's see, let's see. I can't say I'm convinced yet. It still seems corrupt to me, but hopefully you're right. I definitely hope I'm wrong on this one. I, I, I think it's too early to make any decisions about SPF. We, we have to see. I'm sure he's going to go to a prison for a long time and that he's definitely not going to walk free. He lost way too much money. He's probably going to go to jail for 15 to 20 years. Um, maybe longer. We'll see. Um, but he doesn't, have any, he doesn't have any friends anymore. I mean, who's going to step up to help him? Well, I don't know. I don't know him. Like, uh, who knows? Yeah. Let's, let's get that one uh, girl who was talking with him on the podcast to talk about it. We were like... Remember there's a journalist or something who visited him after? Oh, yeah. That's an interesting thing. Um, well, speaking of Alameda and SBF, we had Parrot Protocol, which we reported earlier in the week. It's probably going to rage quit after this vote. And they are going to walk away with $47.5 million. Uh, this is not a rage quit. That's a rug pull, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sure. Whatever yeah, you want exactly. to call it. That's, that's the better way. That's it. Uh, the reason for the rug pool is they ra they're rage quitting, but they're rage quitting with uh, the <laughs> a treasury of uh, almost fifty million dollars. Like, uh, and this uh, this is the kind of stuff that honestly makes uh, our industry yeah, it makes us look like a joke. Honestly, it it, it delays our uh, like uh, real market penetration because uh, when people see stuff like that and they read about it in uh, different uh, on the different media outlets. Like, come on, uh, crypto seems like a scam. Like this side of crypto, of course, you know that I definitely don't think that uh, what we cover here are scams. I think we we cover some of the most amazing and brilliant innovations uh, that that's going to change the world for like decades and uh, centuries to come. But uh, we also also so much of that uh, stuff. I don't know what a joke. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's unfortunate, very unfortunate. So. Right. It's also something that I think that, you know, that like if there's something that the authorities should take care of and go after, it's stuff like that. Like not after uh, Alexei Pertsev who writes code, you know, you know what I mean? These people actually steal someone's uh, money. So go after them. Like uh, that, that's why I see, I think that people myself uh, on a lot of this stuff and I'm sure that uh, many others as well, there's this, this some kind of uh, a feeling of corruption. It's defrauding investors, right? Like literally the investors gave money and they took it yeah. and ran to the beach. That's what the SEC yeah. is supposed to be protecting. Yeah. This exactly. is where we need this is where we need Rax to tell us that everything's a scam and we need to have like put everybody in jail and have stronger regulations <laughs> around all this. <laughs> Only those who uh, I mean he's right. I mean like like he's right about that. Uh, there's a well, lot this of this kind action. of stuff exactly for sure. But yeah. uh, you know, regulation should uh, Regulation is such a powerful instrument, but you should mm -hmm. use powerful instruments uh, where you should use them. You shouldn't use them uh, where you shouldn't. And uh, the question then becomes, who's the one that uh, has the authority to actually use these tools and what they go after? Uh, after stuff yeah. like that. It, for example, by the way, it's the same with uh, the Conic uh, team when they said that uh, like, uh, if the hacker will return the money, then they won't uh, press charges and they won't go after him. It shouldn't be up to Conic whether the authorities go after uh, the exploiter, in my opinion. There's an exploiter. He did something illegal. He stole money. The authorities should go after him. It's criminal activity. What does it matter if Conic wants the, it to happen or not? You know what I mean? This is a crime. Where, where is the, where's the legal system? Yeah, but 
it's really hard to do that. Like first you have to find the person you have to, uh, I'm not saying it's easy. I, I just, I think it's, I think it's a very difficult process to recover funds like that. You, you have to like find the person first. <laughs> you have to like figure out what jurisdiction they're in. Hopefully they haven't left their home just jurisdiction. You then have to like work with authorities across multiple jurisdictions probably to uh, arrest that person. And then you have a long drawn out court case to convict them of fraud. Um, it's, it's not, it's not an easy process, especially uh, when, especially if, if a person is living in a, in somewhere where the authorities are not willing to work with like the United States or somebody else who is, uh, yeah. Uh, but to yeah. piggyback off DeFi Advisor's point, like that's what the government is by we the people is supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be able to collectivize these resources and do the things that we can't do as like individual auditors and tinfoil hat wearer Pepe icons on Twitter. And and when I'm actually and again my point is like like when they want to, to go after Tornado Cash, uh, they find Alexa they find Alexa Pertzev, uh, quickly. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, uh, yeah, exactly. like, uh, I'm not saying that for sure that they can do it or solve it, but like, uh, it shouldn't be up to Conic or any other uh, like uh, protocol or side. Like, when there's criminal activity, I think that we as uh, as a society we expect authorities to at least try and do something. I'm not saying that they will only do it. I'm saying that a lot of the frustration that uh, many people have is. Uh, about where the efforts go like do you do you actually regulate what we want you to regulate or do you regulate what the person of interest uh, tell you to regulate and i think that's the main discussions between uh, like uh, uh, these two sides of uh, like the way different uh, groups see this equation of regulation yeah. or what if they went after conic instead of going after the hacker right like that's a what, what did conic uh, do wrong what why should they go after conic conic made uh, like if they can prove they, i mean kind it, of it, it's that, a uh, made no no it's no no because they I didn't but like hypothetically they could be like oh well conic was selling unregistered securities so we're going to attack um, conic for defrauding their investors yeah, but i don't think it's about security i think that if they can if they say that conic uh, was a part of it like that conic uh, coordinated this whole hack behind the scenes da, 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 if, and they, if they can prove that then okay then i, I can see what's the illegal activity but what's illegal about uh, cnc being uh, dropped like and people saying uh, okay this is our talk and this is what we're going to try to do no one promised uh, no one guaranteed that the money uh, we put in uh, cnc is going to go up or down or it's 100 safe we like i think that people know the risks but mm -hmm. if someone comes and do some, does something malicious aren't we as a society supposed to try and prevent that because otherwise the lesson is that uh, you should try and do more and more malicious things and that's what actually uh, this cycle can perpetuate itself well, look, I mean, when you're talking, okay, so I think from like a like risk return basis, if, if, if an attacker takes like $3 million and returns all but $300,000 of it, that's a much, that's a really easy outcome because like to pay for lawyers, to pay for investigators to it, over several years, right? It's going to cost way more than $300,000. So if the funds can just be returned like that, you can fill the hole with revenues later on. Uh, and just be done with it. Like when you get into the hundreds of millions, I think it's a little bit different, but the issue is still the same. It's just much easier to to not include the authorities and just get it done and and get all the money back. Yeah, but I'm saying that the authorities should participate in it, whether the 
the, the involved parties want to or not. I, I'm saying that uh, criminal activity should concern them either way. I agree with you uh, on the practical level that you're right. And that's what actually goes on. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's uh, like uh, the way we should aspire to be. We should aspire to be like a, a better society. Yeah, so just to give an update on Conic, they have dropped from a high of $156 million in TVL uh, down to $49 million in TVL, which is to be expected, right? I mean, the contracts are being audited. They're not working right now. And uh, they actually just put up a vote to disable uh, CNC emissions for all new pools. So uh, there's there's almost like no incentive to keep funds there for the moment until they uh, re-audit the contracts and and launch again. Uh, but, you know, it's unfortunate in, you know, this looked like a new and promising project and hopefully they're able to get it back on their feet. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We also had some nor, uh, some a vote that was passed by Alchemex to essentially restore the backing for ALUSD on optimism and Arbitrum and then optimism AL ETH, uh, in response to everything that was taking place on multi-chain. So uh, this has essentially gone up to vote. It's passed. And uh, so they're going to withdraw $507,000 of ALUSD and 382 ETH from the mainnet AMO lectures and bridge it to Optimism via Connects. Uh, and then they're going to re like restore all the liquidity in here for everyone. And uh, so multi-chain was the bridging solution for all AL assets on Arbitrum, Optimism, and Phantom uh, for ALETH, ALUSD, and GALCX. And uh, the, the death of multi-chain clearly impacted Alchemex. And wow. Yeah. So well, they continue to write that uh, these were canonical assets on the chain. Uh, and so it was it was quite a serious event. So when the multi-chain was exploited, the DAO disabled the ability for multi-chain assets to mint canonical assets. However, someone with key access at multi-chain was able to steal the funds from the multi-chain contract held on mainnet. Uh, because of this, many of the assets on Arbitrum, Optimism, Phantom are no longer able to bridge back to mainnet and are therefore no longer backed. And so this proposal is specifically just focusing on Arbitrum and Optimism. Uh, it's going to... Uh, like provide backing for those assets and uh, uh, ensure that they can come back to Ethereum. Well, I wish them a lot of luck. I actually like Scoopy. Yeah, let's get Scoopy on the show. So multi-chain holds $2 million of ALUSD on mainnet. These funds are currently considered out of multi-chain's control and effectively lost, potentially in circulation. Uh, Multi-chain holds 901 ALETH on mainnet. And these funds were moved to an EOA and are considered effectively lost. And then they also have uh, close to 6,000 GLACX. And these are out of control of multi-chain, but they're effectively lost and potentially in circulation. Right. So wow. the, the, the data shows that uh, the hit on optimism for ALUSD is $1.4 million dollars. On Arbitrum, it's $364,000. And on uh, multi-AL ETH, on, on Optimism, it's 882 AL ETH. This multi stuff is uh, very disappointing. Yeah. 
So they're going to be used a lot of their farmed assets that they have, uh, namely a bunch of CRV, frac shares, CVX, balancer. They're going to sell all this and then reback those assets. We should definitely get uh, try to get Scoopy on and uh, get his perspective on uh, yeah, like how this, how this affected them and how do you see themselves uh, moving on. Yeah, we'll get Scoopy up for next well, week. This multi-chain uh, stuff has affected so many protocols, huh? Incredible. Uh, well, yeah, that's unfortunate. Um, well, sad news, but they're moving on and they're going to be re repegging everything. Um, we had the launch of Shibarium's beta bridge. So Shiba is launching an L2 named Shibarium, and they've got their beta up. It's got gone live for public testing. You can go out, give it a test. Yeah, this uh, directly rebuts what DeFi Advisor was just said, that we only bring high-quality uh, DeFi news here. No, I think it is. I mean, like, the, the Shiba team has, like, I mean, they're, they're building stuff over there. Um, I, 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 I because of the name it's a funny name shiberium or uh, however you say that yeah and then um the llama nodes premium uh channel is live uh sorry so llama nodes launched an rbc for institutions called uh llama nodes premium and so this is live you can go check it out on their website and sign up and start using it for your dApps and other web3 needs so this is uh, for uh, institutions like mm -hmm. I didn't know that uh, Lama was uh, building a product for institution. That's actually quite exciting. It's very exciting. Kier, did very we have? I mean, we had we, we had Windmoon on a little while back. I know we, we we've mentioned Lama nodes before uh, in chat, but now it's now it's fully launched. Wow, it's yeah, actually it's cool, and stuff. I'm wondering, like, uh, if if it's happening, I'm wondering what's happening uh, behind the scenes. If they have any kind of connection with the institutions that are already anticipating it, uh, quite interesting to know. Mm -hmm. So we that's pretty cool. To, uh, talk to the we had the Lama Nodes guy a while back, right? Yeah, yeah, we had we had them all on, and uh, so it, we that was we we had the Lama Nodes guys on, and then we had uh, Windmoon. So that was back in. Let me just check. Uh, Llama notes because we've reported on this twice. So back in May, on May 9th, we had the Llama nodes team uh, first talk about the Llama nodes and the upcoming uh, MEV protected RPC. Uh, and then on May 2nd, we first reported about it. Yeah, maybe, maybe we should try and talk to them again. Yeah, they're happy, always welcome to come back. So this is going to wrap it up for today. Uh, Hope you guys like the stream and we will be back on Monday. Yes. Hopefully some uh, great guests next week. Hopefully. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, cool. Absolutely. You, uh, well, Garrett, Deep Advisor was great seeing both of you and uh, I hope you, you guys have sir. a good weekend and all of our listeners out there as well too. Have a good weekend as well. Amen. Goodbye folks. Goodbye. Shalom.